Last week I talked to you about perspective and um, that we're kingdom people and we should be having a good day all the time because our good day should depend on the Lord, not on my car didn't start or who knows whatever. Today I wanted to talk about ministry because sometimes even the pastor has has to battle his way back into kingdom thinking and not get caught up in my circumstances get to determine my peace or my joy. And that sometimes, for that to be the case, somebody has to come, like Patty and Keith, you know, when we're battling, trying not to be angry with the boat lady, and no, 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 you know, God's going to take care of it, whatever that looks like, it's, it's all right, because God's in control. And and you need somebody, like, for God to use Jesus. He, we have Holy Spirit to minister to us, right? But he uses Jesus to minister to us, and guess who Jesus uses? He uses us to minister to each other, right? So... I had a bunch of scriptures that were um, about ministry and gifts and ministry gifts and things. So maybe it won't be next week, but maybe you know after next week we'll we'll talk more about ministry and try to deal with some of the lies that the devil tells people about their own capabilities and giftings, so that we can all minister to one another. And it it shifted a little bit towards knowing the truth, and the truth will make you free. Again, in the context of ministry and. And just that comment on that scripture, I said to the Lord, I think it was this morning or yesterday morning when I was praying, and it's like, Lord, I'm just like, you know, maybe they're getting sick of hearing me say the same thing over and over again. And a bunch of the scriptures that, that he spoke with to me about today were Old Testament, Israel in the wilderness kind of scriptures. And the thought of those scriptures popped into my mind, and then the thought of Israel going around and around the mountain, and you know, to... to until they get what God's trying to say to them. And I felt like the Lord was saying to me, and I'm not saying collectively every person in this room, it's either because it's really important or some or all of us, it hasn't seeped in good enough yet that he's going to have me just keep walking around. Maybe it's for me, walking around that same mountain because it's, it's an absolute foundational necessity for us to be a city on a hill. So that being said, all that you hear today, I, I want you to hear in the context of ministry, and ministry is a two-sided coin. There's one side of the uh, coin that is we have needs, and God chooses to minister to his son through his son. So um, one side of this two-sided coin is that we all require ministry. Nobody has it all. The minute you think you have it all, you've just stepped into a huge deception because God wouldn't, doesn't allow us that because we'd be islands unto ourselves. He makes it so that we need each other and we need him. The flip side of that coin is we're all ministers. Every one of us is a minister. Every one of us is a minister. Every one of us is gifted by God. Every one of us has God's grace to meet the needs of his body so that we might all grow up into the fullness of Jesus Christ. We need ministry, and we need to minister to one another because this life in this world is going to always be a fight. It's never going to stop being a fight. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Um, We have a mission to be the light of the world. We have promises and an inheritance of abundant life now, right? All of of God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus, and, and our amen is to his glory flowing through us. But there's always a battle. There's always someone coming against us. There's always the broker who forgets the date that you have to have your thing done and then you don't have a deal on your boat anymore. 
there's always a fight. There's always somebody offends you because the devil works it out that way, and we have to fight to not be offended. There's, there's always the desire to want to wring the boat lady's neck, and God reminds you, no, you know, if you want to receive mercy, then you give mercy. It's, it's just a constant battle, and, and we can fight pretty well in the spirit, you know, ourselves, but God hasn't ordained it to just be that way. He's ordained it that we would help each other to grow up into the fullness of Christ. couple of scriptures that speak to this whole battle concept. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Don't understand, we walk, our life, it, this life is lived in the flesh. We struggle in the flesh, the soulish flesh and the physical flesh. But we don't war according to the flesh. So, so when somebody somethings to you, do you recognize that what you're interacting with is the influence of demonic, not with the, the person themselves that the demon is using? Right? We don't war in the flesh. Do you believe that? Yeah. Okay, good. I believe it too, but sometimes I need to be reminded. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I've heard Christian people, probably I've been that person at times years ago that would say, seriously, demons, come on. Satan, prowling around, like, shh, he does prowl around. I love the story in um, the book of Job. God's like, so, Satan, what have you been doing? He's like, I've been going to and fro about the earth. Peter says, yeah, looking for someone to devour. God says, hey, have you tried to devour my, my uh, servant Job? He says, no, I can't. You put too much of a hedge around Job. But the hedge around Job was blessing. It wasn't a, an impenetrable force. It was a blessing that God gave him that he understood. And because he had that, that faith, Satan could try to attack him, but he could never get to him because the blessing of God was so aware to him that Satan couldn't get to him. God said, okay, well, I'll take my hand off him a little bit, and you can do certain things. Job never, ever denied God. He never cursed God. But there is a devil, and he has a purpose. His purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy, and, and he's looking for whom he may devour. No sense in us putting ourselves on a tray and offering ourselves to him. Amen? Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You've got to just remind yourself of that when flesh and blood gets up in your world and starts to make it miserable, that it's not flesh and blood that you're dealing with. If you deal with the flesh and blood, then all you're going to do is make the situation worse, and you are not at all dealing with the real issue. It's like I got, um, I got a fever. So I'll take an aspirin. I take an aspirin. I don't have a fever anymore. But what caused the fever? The fever was caused by an infection. I didn't deal with the infection. I dealt with the symptom. If we deal with the person and not the spirit behind the person, then all we're doing is taking an aspirin, and we don't feel the symptom quite as much, but we never dealt with the infection that was causing the fever. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's a pretty long sentence to say that you're not dealing in your challenges with people, but you're dealing with the demonic influences on those people. 
point your nose towards the demonic influences and the situation with the person will change. I have that with my own son and his wife. They don't want us in their life anymore. Literally wrote us off. And I prayed and prayed and prayed. And finally God said to me one day when I was praying, so you're praying for the wrong thing. Essentially, I was praying that the fever would go away. He said, you need to pray against the influence on your son. You need to bind the influence on your son and you'll get your son back. That's the only prayer I pray now. Pray I pray. Prayer I pray now is against that influence on my son. I prayed all over the place. Every time I see something in a person, I pray against the influence that's bringing about that evil, that, that lie, that deception. In the first uh, verse, verse 6, Paul is teaching us to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Let me give you a, an example of the schemes of the devil. Matthew chapter 4, starting right at verse 1. I'm going to go through verse 11. So Jesus is ready to start his ministry. He comes to the River Jordan where John the the Baptist is baptizing people into a baptism of repentance. And Jesus says, baptize me. And John says, hey, listen, you know, I should, how can I baptize you? You're Messiah. You need to baptize me. And Jesus says, no, no, this has to be done that all righteousness be fulfilled. John the Baptist puts him down in the water and he brings him back up. There's a voice from heaven that says something along the lines of, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit, in a visible way, descends down from heaven and comes and rests upon Jesus. Immediately then that spirit takes Jesus out into the wilderness. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he doesn't eat. He fasts. That's where the story is right now. The end of that 40 days. Then Jesus was led up by the, well, at the end of the baptism. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He went out for a purpose. What was his purpose? To be tempted by the devil. Who took him out there? God the Holy Spirit himself. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. That's an interesting thing about fasting. Grandpa Larry could tell you I know. Probably Pick could tell you. I don't have their kind of experiences, but I have some fasting experience. You fast and you stop being hungry. After 40 days and 40 nights, the fast was done. You know how I think he knew? He started getting hungry. The grace to fast wasn't there anymore. 39 days, not hungry. 40 days, hungry. He became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written... Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. If you're proud and think you don't need ministry, that you're okay, you'll figure it out yourself. I don't know who the man was that would have ministered to Jesus in that moment, but God sent heavenly angels to minister to Jesus. And this is all just coming to me in in the moment, but in Hebrews it says, talking about angels, because these guys are like wanting to exalt angels or something. And he says, through whoever wrote Hebrews, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth for those, the benefit of those who might inherit salvation? 
Jesus needed ministry. So do I. So do you. Maybe sometime God will send one of those ministering spirits. Maybe he does all the time, but he also wants to do it through us. Okay, so the devil's schemes, they're pretty consistent if you look closely at the challenges in your life. If you look at how the devil attacked Jesus, you can see the same ways that the devil attacks us. So first, if you are the Son of God, two or three times in that course of Scripture during that that time of trial that Jesus was on from Satan himself, Satan tried to test him to know who he was. I am telling you that devil will attack your identity a thousand times. Once you tell him no and rebuke him, he's going to come back another time. And then he's going to come back to you when there's something that's happened, where maybe you made a little stumble or who knows what. And he's going to try to mess with you by trying to challenge who you are. And even so, whose you are. Rebuke him. Jesus rebuked him. He knew who he was. So one of his schemes is to attack you and your identity. Number two, after 40 days and nights, Jesus was hungry. The devil will come and attack you. He'll try to make a meal out of you to see whom he can devour when you're weak. He'll wait for you to be weak. I see this. This is, a, um, this is just the world according to Pat. I have a friend. I don't see him too often, but we've been friends since we were probably 12 or 13 years old. We used to talk a lot. I talk about the Lord with him a lot. I grew up with him and his first wife. We, we all went to school together. He and his first wife were divorced, and he had a second wife, and his second marriage was a mess. And um, we would ride bikes together, and I would talk about the Lord, and he would tell me about his challenges with his wife. And I'd say, I keep wanting to say his name, but I won't say his name, Fred, Bob, Mr., you need Jesus in your marriage. It's not going to get better until you get Jesus into your marriage. And about the time that he would start to believe me, like, you know, let's bring Jesus into the situation, it would get better. And he'd say, hey, man, we've had the most awesome week together. We've had the most awesome two weeks together. And this cycle would go round and round and round. And here's what I think is happening. I think the devil is trying to kill, steal, and destroy my friend and his wife and their marriage. And the minute I'm about to draw Jesus, you know, he's about to let me draw Jesus into that situation, the the devil takes the fire off a little bit. And they get deceived, and they think, hey, we're good. We just had two good weeks. But nothing changed. No attitudes changed. No surrender happened to the truth that Jesus would give them. So he takes his hand off so that they won't actually hit the wall so hard that they'll they'll bring Jesus into their situation. And it gets bad again, and, and then... The devil lets them have a little respite so that they'll never bring Jesus into that situation. He will attack you when you're weak. Really a time when you need somebody to come up alongside. Amen? Um, The third way he messed with Jesus, his scheme, was to, to tell Jesus to throw himself down. Get him to do something that he shouldn't do. Right? And Jesus is like, well, I think if I fell off this thing, God would show himself to be true, and the angels would come, and I wouldn't stub my toe against the ground. They'd put me down softly. But the word says that I don't test God in that way. I think there's only one place in the Bible where God says, test me in this way, in the book of Malachi, when he's talking about stealing from him in tithes and offerings. He says, if you want to test me, you can test me like this, and you'll see the, the windows of heaven will open up, and such a blessing will pour forth. But Jesus understood no, no, we don't test God that way. So he tried to get Jesus to stumble in testing God in ways that he's not to be tested. The fourth way 
is he'll test us in our flesh. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. All these things I will give you. Jesus was going to get them anyway, but he's going to take them the right way. But Satan said, look at them. You know the program that's in front of you. You're going to have to die. But you're not going to die an easy death. You're going to die a hard death. You're going to get the meat ripped off your back. You're going to get a crown smashed into your face. You're going to have people that you're dying for spit on you and pull the beard out of your face. And then they're going to nail you to a tree and you're going to hang there. I just learned this week in my reading, he hung there for six hours. Six hours, naked. Not with the little thing we see in our cross deal in front of his mother and the whole world as they wag their tongues at him. All that is coming. Satan says, there's another way you can have it all. I'll just give it to you. But it never comes free. He says, but you need to just bow down and worship me. How about you bow down and worship me? I'll stay king of this whole world, and you can have this without having to go through that. How about that, Jesus? How many times have we been in a situation where the easy way out seemed like, well, maybe this is God's will, and we're tempted to do it? There's no easy way out. Jesus said, unless you die to yourself, you can't have life. But what about this, Lord? Can't I just have this? You know, somebody prayed with me, and they it's like, no, no. You want to have big muscles? Guess what? You've got to lift heavy weights. You want to have lungs that you can climb up a mountain? With the, then you need to run. and just, It doesn't come free. So he has schemes. Just in that little paragraph where he came after Jesus, he exposes his schemes to us. That's, if you just were ready for those four things, you'd shut him down probably 99% of the time. Don't you think he used his best stuff with Jesus? I think he did. So if Jesus was tempted and tested, if Jesus was perfected through suffering, and we are to be made like Jesus, and, and we get tested and tempted, our faith being tested by God, how do we respond when it happens? Jesus responded, it is written. But what does it is written really mean? What does it point to? This is where I'm a broken record. When Jesus says it is written, he's, he's not talking about words such that, you know, I have this manual that teaches me how to whatever. He's speaking to truth. See, the devil was trying to get him with deception. It's the only tool he has. Lies and deception. And Jesus responded, it is written. Why? Because what is written by God is truth. And we deal with the lies and the schemes of the devil with truth. If we were to go through all of the Ephesians chapter 6 armor of God stuff, I could show you that every single bit of it rests in truth. What sets you free? Truth, right? What is Jesus? The way, the truth, and the life. But he came for all of mankind. All of mankind's sin is dealt with in Jesus. It's all dealt with. But it's not all going to be reconciled to God. Why? Because some won't acknowledge that truth. They'll choose not to. They'll, they'll rather have the deception. They'll rather have the world. And the fact that it's true won't make any difference in their life because they won't hold fast to the truth. The attack will always be lies and deception. Our response must be truth. Victory and defeat hang in the balance of which or who we choose to believe. End of discussion. That's it. God says, it is written. Satan says, 
How about your flesh? How about an easy path? How about you don't get crucified? Where's the answer? The answer is truth. It'll always be truth. You have to decide. I have to decide. Every single day we have to decide who are we going to believe. Which one? You empower who you agree with. I'm not a good Old Testament, like, can you see Jesus, like um, Kennard, he tells me, you pick any verse in the Bible and I'll show you Jesus in that verse. I, I haven't, if I have that gift, I, it hasn't blossomed too much yet. But there's great parallel that I'm starting to see, and I can actually speak to it, between Israel and the Old Testament and our situation as New Testament believers. Numbers uh, chapter 13 Verse 25, all the way through Numbers chapter 14, verse 11. So you, you got Israel wandering around in the wilderness, and, and there's this promised land, and God said. He said to Abraham, he said to Isaac, he said to Jacob, he said to all of them, I'm going to give you that. That's my promise for you. It's come time for that promise to be full, but they don't trust God so much. So why don't we just send a few guys across the river there and have them check it out, make sure it's going to be okay. That's kind of where this story is. Like, check it out, guys. When they returned from spying out the land, at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, We sent, excuse me, we went into the land where you sent us. And it certainly does flow with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Nevertheless, can I just say something right now? There's a word. It's a nevertheless. But there's a word that we all have in our vocabulary that needs to go. Three letters. That's exactly right. If you eliminate but from the word of God and how you receive it, thousand miles forward in an instant. All this, look at it. It's just like he said. Milk and honey, great fruit. Nevertheless, The people who live in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Anak is living in... (laughs) I'm just thinking to myself, get behind me, Satan, right? Peter rebukes God's plan in Jesus Christ, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Who do you think was speaking through Peter in that moment? Who do you think is speaking through these guys right now? Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. The promised land appears to be, this is me, the promised land appears to be true, milk and honey, abundant life. Nevertheless, but... They're experiencing the ministry of lies and deception. That's what's happening. The Israel people who have been told one thing by God are experiencing the ministry of lies and deception by Satan through most of these guys that went across to see if it was okay, if they could make it. The enemy is big and strong. He has fortified cities. Blah, 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 blah. Why would we just want to go over there and die? Basically, the ministry of doubt and fear. Every one of you, I'll bet, at some point in time, heaven forbid it's been you, but has experienced the ministry from another Christian of doubt and fear, right? Oh, but, oh, but this, but I don't know. Is it God's will? Maybe it's not God's will. Maybe you're just going to go over there and the Amalek guys are going to kill you. Verse 30. Then Caleb 
quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. Now the ministry of faith and truth is coming because he is speaking what God said. It doesn't matter. He was out there. He saw them. They're like, I don't know how big an Amalek is. Big. And he saw cities with big walls. But he doesn't minister what he sees. He ministers what God said. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land though which excuse me, the land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. There you go, in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. More ministry of doubt and fear. Uh, Next chapter, verse 1. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Why did the Lord bring us this boat to get so in love with, only to miss a date and take it away? Oh, woe is me. (laughs) Sorry. A little personal thing there. This land to fall by the sword. Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Egypt. Those people chose who they were going to listen to. Caleb brought the word of God. The other guys brought the word of the devil and fear. And they picked who they were going to listen to. And guess what? Those people reaped from that which they sowed. You can read that part yourself. Verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. When you minister to somebody, that's what you tell them about God and their situation. So now the minister of the truth speak again. They repeat God's promises. The land is good. Think about now. What's our promise from Jesus? I read it last week. Abundant life. Uh, we got to use his de- definition of abundant life, right? We can, we can have rivers of living water flowing from our innermost places. We can release the kingdom of heaven. We are light in darkness, abundant life. Do not rebel against God, but believe the truth. It says, they they say, Joshua and Caleb, he, God, will bring us into the land and give it to us. Possessing the land doesn't depend on our strength or abilities, but our faith and willingness to move into the land. Because God said that we would have abundant life. God said that they would possess that land. Note also that God has removed 
their protection, the people in that land. One of the things you think about, you know, gosh, these people spent their lives, they, they tilled the, the ground and they built houses and they dug wells, and God said that, Israel, you're going to live in houses that you didn't build and you're going to drink from wells that you didn't dig and you're going to harvest from fields that you didn't plant. It doesn't seem fair, except the Scripture also says that God didn't allow them into that promised land until the people of that land that owned it, that built the houses, that dug the wells, till their sin had reached such a level that God was ready to judge it. He was patient with them. He was patient with them. Remember in the book of uh, Revelation, I forget which church it is, but the church that has Jezebel, God was patient with her that she might repent, but she didn't want to repent. So he started to deal with it. When Israel goes into this place, it's not because God was just nice to them and mean to the others. Those people had done such evil things And God waited and waited until their sin had reached such an exceeding level that his judgment came by way of putting Israel into their place and taking his protection away from them. Verse 10, But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. That's Moses and Aaron. Stone Moses and Aaron with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. The Lord said to Moses, How long will this people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me, despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst? It's a sad commentary. They got to watch as God took them out of Egypt. Gave Pharaoh this chance, this chance, this chance. But they saw the plagues. God called out the plagues. They saw the uh, Passover. How if they did what God said to put the blood up on the thing there and the angel of death passed by, but he didn't pass by the the Egyptians' places. He saw Egypt give to Israel its wealth, all the gold earrings and everything. He he said, you're going to come out of there with their wealth. He saw Egypt, they saw Egypt start to chase after them. And then they're cornered. They're at the Red Sea. They're cooked. Except for Moses holds up his staff and God opens the water for them. And they go through the water. And then here comes Egypt. It's like, ah, we've got to run even more. They're coming through the water too. And guy says, I ah, don't worry. You just stay here. We're going to sing songs or whatever it is they did. And whoosh, they watch the water come and kill all of those horses and chariots and soldiers and people that wanted to drag them back into their bondage. And after all that, manna on the ground, water from the rock, quail, they said he brought us out here to die. All that promised land stuff is nonsense because there's big guys in there and we can't take them. Amaleks and Nephilims. People spurn what God tells them. They don't believe what he says. And despite all that he has done and demonstrated, you've got to see the parallel between what's going on with them and what the devil is trying to have go on with us. We don't want to be them. What's it say in the New Testament? You read about these guys in the New Testament. It says that was written for you so that you won't be like them. So that we won't be like them. That, that when our Jericho shows up, we're going to go after it. We're going to confront it. Because God has given us a promise. So, I think the first element of ministering to each other and, and receiving ministry and, and coming into the fullness of what God has and wants for us and from us and through us is faith and trust. To believe what he says but I don't see how 
the boat guy, I even, I don't know if it was a word of knowledge, but I knew that boat guy had a better offer from somebody else and he didn't have to keep our offer anymore. Why would he then? $25,000 more. He don't even know me. If I fell out of the sky and landed on his head, he wouldn't know who I was. But God, amen. Right, right, okay. (laughs) And God, (laughs) of God, Nevertheless, right, that's sneaky. The first element is faith and trust. The second is courage. I guess maybe they're the same. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 1 through 6, another another little piece of Old Testament to make a point. So Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to come and go. And the Lord has said to me, You shall not cross the Jordan. It is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy those, these nations before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you, just as the Lord has spoken. The Lord will do to them, just as he did to Sihon and Og. Remember, Dana, Patty, Sihon and Og? We just read about them. Sihon and Og. The Lord will deliver them up before you, and you shall do to them according to all the commandments which I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do you believe that? Is he faithful? Trustworthy? Say amen. Amen. He will not. It might feel like it sometime. Guess what? Deny your feelings. Trust God because he won't because he said so. The Lord your God will cross before you. He will destroy these nations before you and dispossess them. The Lord Jesus has gone before us, just like God will go before Israel, or did go before Israel into that promised land. The Lord Jesus has overcome the world. He has defeated death. He has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He has allowed us to partake of his divine nature. The land of abundant life is waiting for us to possess by faith and courage. But I don't know, but it's like, stop it. God went before Israel. When Israel did what God told them to do against the people he told them to do it, they destroyed them. The same is exactly true for us. Every one of those fortresses, every one of those strongholds, every one of those, my son doesn't want to talk to me, that's what I say. Because the Lord said, you pray against that force of evil that's trying to influence his thinking. And by the way, I pray against that force of evil that tries to mess with my thinking in that relationship. I don't think that Ryan bears all the weight of that thing not being how it's supposed to be. And I trust that that's going to come to pass, that that mountain is going to come down, and I'm going to have a relationship with my son and his wife, whom I love, and my grandchildren better than ever before, because God is going to rub Satan's face in it. Jesus has done the same thing for us. You don't have to fear death. Why? Because he died. You know what he says? Because I live, you live too. Death is behind us. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says this. This is the beginning of the whole armor of God thing. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. He provides the strength. Not our strength, but His. Knowing, trusting the truth, we provide the courage. 
He provides the strength. He moves the mountain. He knocks down the walls. But we got to walk into them. We need ministry. Why? Because he wants us to be exactly like Jesus. He wants our light to shine so bright that nobody could deny that the God of this world, the only true God, is the God that they need. Not because of my strength, because of my courage and my faith. More Old Testament. Psalm 23 and verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Again, there are paths in this life that are going to go right through the shadow of the valley of death. You might be walking one of them right now. God will not leave you nor forsake you. You don't be afraid. Why? Because God is with you. And his rod and his staff, they comfort you. Well, I ain't that crazy about getting staffed, you know. A little discipline, maybe we could do this without a little discipline. No, no, no. See, now I'm thinking for myself. Bad. If he feels a little discipline is necessary, then a little discipline is necessary. That rod is necessary. And if I'll understand, if I'll think from God's ways, then I have comfort in the rod and the staff. Maybe the staff is for me and the rod is for the wolf. I don't know. But the point is, he has a way he does things. We should just choose to agree with them and not kick against them, them, those goads. Amen? Now I'm talking about us. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about you. You you have to confront your Jericho. When they went through the, um, they crossed the River Jordan, the first thing that they had to possess was the city of Jericho. The city of Jericho was well defended. It had big, strong, tall walls. God said, right there, that one. So I guess if I'm Joshua and I'm leading those guys, you know, I, I got a sword. I got, maybe I got a helmet, you know, a shield. I have some sense for how I'm going to go in there and take Jericho. God's going to be with me. God says, well, here's how you'll do it. You walk around there seven times, once a day for a week. Seven times, I think. I might be getting this a little bit wrong, but you'll get the gist of it. You probably know it better than me. And on the seventh day, you know, the, the ark of the Lord goes before you and the priests, and, and you walk around it seven times that day. And once you get done with the seven times, ready? Blow your horns and scream and yell. Okay, God. Like, God's not like that. God wouldn't do that. How many times have you heard that from a Christian? I'm like, well, explain me this. Explain me walking around the wall seven times keeping my sword in my pocket, screaming, yell, and blow the horn. And a wall falls down, and I get the whole city, and all the houses, and all the booty. Explain to me how God doesn't do weird things. Everything he does is weird. It's all crazy to the natural mind. Seriously. So when we confront crazy like Jesus, deaf guy, hang on just a minute, spits on his finger and runs it in his ear, and he gets hearing. Spits on the ground and makes spit mud and rubs it in his eyes, and he can see. No, no, God wouldn't do that. Well, Turns out he would. I'm not telling you to spit. I, I anointed Margie with spit one time. Do you remember? I didn't have any oil. I licked my finger and touched her head. I think the, probably the anointing disappeared with that one. But <laughs> the point is, Jericho had big walls. It probably had guys with bows and arrows. Thank you, Eli. Eli gave me a thumbs up. Okay. <laughs> It was scary. But the Lord had a way, and he told him to do it this way. 
and the walls came down, and they had their first victory. Remember this, the first victory, right? Remember that. So, so ask yourself, this is what I've been asking myself. I'm like, Lord, what's my Jericho? What, what's my Jericho? What is it that I can't even see that's not like Jesus that needs to come down? What is it? What is it that I can see and I'm hiding from? I'm pretending like I don't see it. What is it? You know, it's funny. When I was praying that prayer the other day, I've been listening to Jason Upton. I know I've heard this song before, but I've never heard the words, I don't think. And, and all of a sudden I hear the words, Lord, whisper, whisper, whisper in my ear. Whisper things that I don't want to hear. <laughs> he works in mysterious ways. We need to go find Jericho and we need to walk around it seven times, scream and yell, and the walls are going to come down. The first ministry... The first ministry, when you minister to somebody, when you're receiving ministry, when you're receiving ministry, accept this. It's, it's probably more important that you receive, that you accept this when you receive ministry than you acknowledge it and you present it when you give ministry. And that is, we need to minister to unbelief. The biggest issue is unbelief. The biggest issue is coming into agreement with what we see. The biggest issue is that, that kind of stuff versus what does God say. Start with unbelief. What is it that you're believing? John eight thirty one and 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It's the truth that makes you free. It's unbelief that has to get behind you, and it's the truth that you need to stand on. If you think about Israel... Taking possession of the land is a great example. God said it was theirs, and he would give it to them, but they doubted and sent out spies. The spies gave a bad report, and all that generation did not experience the promised land. They had the word of God that said he would provide for them. They had the report of the spies that said the enemies are too big and too strong. They doubted God, and they believed the report of men. If the report of man differs from the word of God, you don't have to say it in somebody's face, maybe, but you say, get behind me, Satan. You're speaking to me the thoughts of man and not the will of God. They reaped the fruit of their unbelief. I think I might have shared this last week. I know I've just mentioned it before, but let me just tell you that I've asked God so many times, why do I pray for them and they don't get healed? And one time when I was asking that question, he said, who said they didn't get healed? I'm like, well, what do you reason you have no bread? Because <laughs> I have no bread. Well, who said they didn't get healed? But I didn't see it. Does that mean they didn't get healed? And then this time when he reminded me of that conversation, just in the last few months, the next thing came into my head was the parable of the seeds in the soil. That seed went on that hard soil and Satan snatched it up before it even had a chance to do anything to them. And what he was trying to tell me is who said I didn't heal him? But Satan spoke them a symptom, spoke them a doubt, and he snatched that thing away from them before they even knew they had it. Before, Pat, you even knew they had it. I hear you. It works both ways. Amen. They reaped the fruit of their unbelief. I think about Lisa Taylor and her dad's hearing. No, his eyesight. He's almost legally blind. He can't see. She prays for him for years. She prays for him. Every time she prays for somebody else, Got bad eyes? She prays also for her dad's bad eyes. Then one day, the phone rings. Lisa, this is, I mean, I'll paraphrasing. Lisa, this is dad. Hi, dad, what's up? 
I'm not blind anymore. Hang on just a minute. What? Yeah, I'm not blind anymore. Well, what do you mean you're not blind anymore? He said, I woke up this morning and I'm not blind anymore. Matter of fact, I can see colors. Wow, colors are awesome. I mean, it's like, so, so maybe she prayed for her dad one time and she said, oh, it didn't work. You know, she goes on and does something different. But she didn't. She continued to believe that God is a healer, that God is the one who opens the blind eyes. And she kept praying, praying. She didn't need to see blind eyes open. She just needed to know the word of God, praying, praying, praying. Man, my whole body is lit up. And then the phone rings. She hadn't even been praying. God said, now's the time. What a testimony. Don't believe the report of men that disagree with God. Believe the report of God, because that's true, and it'll always be true. My word will never pass away, God says. For those that believed, they still had to engage the battle. They believed God, and they went to Jericho. But guess what? They had to walk around Jericho. The people didn't just say, oh, we heard a prophecy. Here you are. Okay, well, hey, you're going to like my house. No. They had to do what God said. They had to engage their Jericho. We have to engage our Jericho. It's painful. You don't know how they hurt me. You don't know what my dad did to me. You don't know what this one did to me. You don't know the torment. I can't sleep at night. It's like, engage your Jericho. You know, when people say deal with it, people get mad at you when you say you. But it's like, if you don't deal with it, guess what? When my buddy didn't deal with his marriage in Jesus, guess what? They're not married anymore. I wonder how much money of his, you know, that he brought into that marriage that she carried out. They're not married anymore. Thank God they didn't have children. You know what I'm saying? You've got to engage that thing. You've got to deal with it. Come up, deal with it in the Lord. And it probably, if it's a bad one, you need to get somebody to stand with you and deal with it. That's what the body's for. We're blight, blight blood cells, white blood cells for everybody else. They had to engage the battle, but the fight was the Lord's, and he provided the victory. Here's, here's just examples, just things that popped into my head. I have given them over to you. When they're marching around, they come to these different places. God says, whoa, look at they're arraying in battle formation. God says, okay, I gave them to you. You go. They get slaughtered. But then sometimes they think, hey, you know, maybe I'd like those. And God says, I didn't give them to you. And they get slaughtered, right? Do what God says. Where God says. I promise you, if there's an ungodly fortress or stronghold in your life that's tormenting you from who knows what, God's given that over to you. Confront it. Um, I have put fear and dread in their hearts. He can literally cause them to be afraid of you. Like Gideon, he's got 300 guys, and there's like 40,000 of the whoever's they are. All he had to do was do what God told him to do. Get rid of all them other guys. Why? Who gets the glory then? God gets the glory, right? Gideon might be a good general, but he's not that good. I wish I, I should have looked up these stories. I could have given you more detail. There's one time where God says, I'm giving them into your hands. I've given them over to you. And they're like, okay. He says, hang on, before you go, you get the musicians and the singers and put them out front. But we got guys like, you know, with swords and bows and arrows and chariots. He's like, yeah, yeah, no, not them. The singers and the musicians, put them out front. And God, there you go. And Jesus is in there. I know it. Yeah, I know it. Um, Second Chronicles 20. So, so then they go, and God uses the sound to confuse them, and they kill each other. You don't even have to get blood on your sword. God just took care of it how he did. No, God doesn't do weird things. Yes, he does. 
Jonathan and his armor bearer. I don't know. Where's that story? Come on. Uh, I, I'm not even going to check. I believe it. Jonathan and his armor bearer. Like there's this whole army of guys. And Jonathan, I don't remember the story. I should have looked it up exactly. But basically he's like, okay, if they say this, we'll know God gave them to us. But if they, he put out a fleece maybe. But if they say that, then we'll know. Hey, they said this. He's like, okay. Yeah, what an exciting life. Amen. So they climb up the thing. Like they can't even defend themselves because if they let go, they're going to fall down. And I don't remember how they all died. But Jonathan, David's best buddy, and Jonathan's armor bearer, they get the whole thing. Why? Because they were like ninja? No, because God said so. Same is true with us. Our battle is to confront the bondage and believe the truth. God, through Jesus, has already provided the victory. Understand, it's already there. We just got to go claim it. We just got to go walk around Jericho, do what he says. He provides the victory, not us. The land we're to occupy is not physical, but spiritual in our souls. The destruction of fortresses, the weapons of our warfare. 2 Corinthians 10, the the weapons. (laughs) I'm trying to hurry up is why. I mean, it's all, don't look at the clock. Matter of fact, I don't even want to look at the clock. The weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful for the tearing down of fortresses or strongholds. Not, not personally powerful, but divinely powerful. But it doesn't say what they are. Here's what I think. Our divinely powerful weapons is the truth, are the truth. Our weapon is the truth. The devil's weapon is the lie. Our weapon is the truth. For it is written, hear this, first delivered and received in or by faith and courage, believing, trusting, confronting. Remember I said, remember Jericho was the first one, right? So, so maybe we have some stuff in our life and it's binding us up, but, but the thought of confronting it is worse than the thought of being past it is good. So all of our life, we live in a certain bondage. The first time you get it, it's got to be by courage and faith. That's all you got. But guess what you have the second time? You have experience and you have testimony. So the first one, you walk around that thing seven times and maybe you're not even sure. I mean, how is this going to work? How is God going to do this? But he does. And the second time you confront this next scary thing, guess what? You not only have faith and courage, but you've got a testimony to stand on. Are the testimonies important? What if somebody's battling cancer and Grandpa Larry comes up, and, and I've heard the story told, you know, it's the same story, but from different angles. It's like your body is full of cancer. We have the report. right Here's the report right here, full of cancer. Our machine must be busted. Remember um, Jen Huber, cancer up inside her girl parts. They want to take it out right now before it spreads. She says, nope, I'm going on a missions trip to Brazil with Randy Clark. She got baptized in the Holy Spirit on that trip, started speaking in other tongues. She comes back. She goes to the doctor. The doctor says, did you bring somebody to drive you home? She said, nope. He gets mad. I told you, you cannot go through this procedure and then drive yourself home. Sorry. I mean, I'm having a visual here, you know. So he gets her all strapped into the deal or whatever. He goes in to find that cancer, and he can't find the cancer. And he thinks his machine is messed up. So he says to the lady nurse, hey, the machine's broke. Give me another machine. They bring the other machine. Guess what? They're both broke. 
Guess what? Neither of them is broke. Guess why? Because there's no cancer. That's why. Because she stood on faith and she said, nope, I'm going to go and I'm going to seek the Lord for my healing. And if it doesn't come, I'll come over here. Maybe that's wisdom. I don't know. And she hasn't had any cancer since then. It was just gone. Gone. Larry has a testimony. Jen Huber has a testimony. If somebody has cancer, they don't need their own testimony. They can listen to his testimony. And let that be the prophecy of Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Let that be the case. So here's my exhortation to you. You're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Guaranteed. In this life, you will have tribulation, but something, I've overcome the world. Jesus has. He went there before us. Take heart. Thank you. Confront your Jericho. Trust in the Lord and help somebody with theirs. How do you minister? Always first, the word of God and truth. When you're getting ministry, you might not like what you need to hear, but you need to hear the truth. And you have to be willing to hear and accept the truth so that Jesus can use that truth to make you free. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's the word you say when you're done. Amen. Oh, right. <laughs> An hour ago, amen. <laughs> Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you're faithful. I thank you that you can speak through a donkey. I thank you that you don't have to, but you can. I thank you that anybody under your anointing can bring your truth. I thank you, Lord, that you've given us the honor to minister your truth, your son, to each other. I pray, Lord, that the spirit of fear will be so diminished by the spirit of truth, that none of us, none of us will hide from the confrontation, that every one of us will have the courage of your grace to confront our Jerichos and be free, Lord. For the very sake of being free, because Jesus purchased it for us, Lord, but also for the sake of shining your light into every dark place that needs to get free. We praise you and we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.